The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, and the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Through the written word and the spoken word, God, help us to hear your living word, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine arriving to a pageant that told our gospel story today. What would that look like? Who are the characters? How would one depict the Word? The Word was in the beginning without an identifiable form, but the Word also became flesh. We just don't know exactly how. The poetry of John's prologue is mysterious and even enchanting. It's hard to envision concretely, though. A pageant director would have a hard time using this passage to write lines and design costumes. It might not make the most fun Christmas pageant, but John is telling his own Christmas story. This is a story of God coming to earth, 
a story of God incarnate. And John has particular pieces of that story that he wants readers to know and hear in his telling of the Christmas story. This desire to emphasize one thing or another is a factor in all storytelling. We'll use, for example, a fish story. You know, the stories where the fish grows in size each time it's told. In addition to that fish changing size, the different storytellers and different audiences will also change the story. Consider a fish story told by one fisherman to another. The storyteller would want to include what kind of fish they caught and where they caught it. The hearer might ask about the weather, about the rod and reel, and about the boat. Two people who take real joy in fishing and for whom it's an important hobby might share the details of the story to result in their next big catch. When the fisherman tells the story to someone who does not like fishing, but does care deeply about them, the hearer might ask questions about who went fishing with them. The conversation might turn to people and relationships. Oh, John was on that trip? I remember him. How are his kids doing? People who don't share the hobby but do share care for one another, would share a fishing story where that fish was just a small part. Consider a hearer who loves to cook, that's me, and how that might affect the story. The fisherman would be prodded to talk about the weight of the fish and what became of it. Was the whole fish used for one recipe, or was it big enough to divide? How was it cooked? What spices were used? Were there fish tacos involved? A fisherman and a cook could go from a fish story to a recipe swap. The same story can become many different conversations. The storyteller and the audience shape the story together based on the information available to them and the interest of each. That's exactly what happens in John's prologue when he tells his version of the Christmas story. John wrote the latest of the four Gospels, somewhere around 90 to 100 CE. For John, it was important to name the cosmic context of Jesus' birth and his life on earth. He was writing later and perhaps had different priorities in order to relate the life of Jesus to many generations to come. He needs Jesus to stay relevant across time and space. His later readers likely would have heard those concrete stories of Jesus' birth, like we do here in our pageants, as they were passed down through Christian communities. But as time went on, places of connection to that story shifted. How could John keep the life of Christ truly alive in Christian communities as generations passed? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The Word, which we understand is Jesus, was present in the beginning, at the time of creation. This tells us that the Word has been present for many, many generations and will continue to be active for many more. The Word was both present with God and was God. We get small beginnings of a Trinitarian formula, a both-and understanding of the Word and of God. John lays the groundwork for a cosmic Christ. The fullness of creation came through the Word. The entire cosmos connects to this mysterious being. John writes of the Word as being beyond space and time. In later verses, he writes of the Word becoming flesh among us and being rooted in a particular space and time. This can start to feel like a word game, and it's easily the most esoteric of the Christmas stories. But John made cosmic connections as well as detailed and specific connections so that his story would continue to relate to those later generations. Our God is eternal. God among us is not connected from the God who created us, who created the fullness of all that we see and enjoy today. Our God worked through formless chaos to make the world, so our God can certainly work in each of our hearts for grace and peace. Our God is bigger than our cities, countries, and even our planet, which connects us to something far beyond ourselves. Yet God is also specific and particular. God showed up in the body of a particular human at one time in one place, while also showing up in each of us exactly where we are. Learning about John's priorities and dissecting the Christmas story as he tells it makes me wonder what a gospel written today would sound like. John wrote in 90 to 100, and now we're at 2023, or tomorrow, 2024. Why is Christianity still relevant all those generations later? Each of us would have particular pieces of our relationship with God that would contribute to this 21st century gospel. I'm not sure exactly what that gospel would say, and it certainly would sound different coming from American Christians than from Palestinian Christians, from white American Christians and black American Christians from refugees carrying a prayer card of Jesus on their way, and from people who have lived in safety all their life, from a queer Christian and a Christian who says the Bible condemns queer relationships, from a small child just beginning to understand Jesus, and from an adult from an adult who has been raised in their church and been a part of the church their whole life, or an adult who has just found the church, 
or has reconnected after many years away. The gospel would need to be centered in Christ and not a personal agenda. And I pray that that gospel of this century would be unifying while still comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. So many generations removed from Jesus's life on earth, it's hard to imagine a gospel that is not sectarian in the same way that our church is. But when we get beyond a personal agenda or even a denominational goal, we can think about how it's possible to imagine the individual gospels of our lives. How has Jesus been made real for each person? We get really particular. We all have a story or many, many stories of how Jesus has been made real to us. And what is the gospel but good news as made manifest in concrete reality? Jesus is real to me because I have seen food stretch to feed hundreds of migrants in camps along the Texas-Mexico border. Jesus is real to me because I have sat with people crying for forgiveness, and we have somehow together experienced waves of peace. Jesus is real to me because I've been supported through mutual aid when much of Texas lost power and water for a week during a winter storm. Jesus is real to me because I've been a part of communities of unlikely friends and seen the connective tissue that is prayer and fellowship. Jesus is real to me. I imagine Jesus is real to you. Our personal accounts of Jesus are important. They're gospel. Each of our stories is good news. That's why here at St. Columba, Columba's, we share our faith stories during worship. It's why I'd love for any of you, each of you, to share a faith story with us. Episcopalians don't often speak of our personal relationship with Jesus or of personal testimony to our faith. Yet I think that's part of what John is doing in our gospel today. His prologue is a personal testimony for why the Word of God matters to him. And he works to persuade others of this. He offers his own understanding of events that tell him that God is real. We read and learn from them. And we have the opportunity to share how God is real for us, too. Each week at the end of our service, we say, as we are gathered, fed, and sent by God, let us ask ourselves, with whom will I share the good news? So I ask with real seriousness, what is the good news that you will share? What is the gospel told in your life? Who will you share it with? 
How is Jesus real for you? Go and share. May it be so. Amen.